0: Hello, this is Doug Wyatt, and this is the Considering Christianity as a Scientist podcast series, and this is podcast number 11. Just in case you have not listened to any of our first 10 podcasts, I am a PhD scientist, a geologist and geophysicist, published with patents and a long history of managing major science and engineering research programs. I am a Christian. Many of my friends and acquaintances in science, technology, engineering, and many others I have chatted with on various occasions have discussed their thoughts on Christ and Christianity, a creator God the Bible and human history, and often how difficult it is to reconcile Christian beliefs with science. I understand and have often struggled with this myself. Science and Christian beliefs are often hard to merge, particularly in our modern technological world. Yet, I know that many of you feel, sense, hear a quiet whisper, a deep-sensed need for something greater, larger, and more meaningful than ourselves. I want you to consider and to discuss that this is our Creator God calling through Christ to you personally and how to accept this. Therefore, I offer these series of podcasts, Considering Christianity as a Scientist, and today's podcast 11, we continue with the Other Teachings of Jesus. Those that have listened to our previous podcast know that I have relied heavily on the book of Matthew from the New Testament of the Bible, but I have also used several other books that are considered the Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today I'm going to be using Luke. For those who wonder why I may use different books of the Gospels for different teachings of Jesus. The stories and the history and the recalling of Jesus' activities by both those who saw it, those who were witnesses, by those who were secondary followers, they talked to those who were witnesses, and by those who heard the stories and the recounting of all that Jesus said and did is remarkably consistent. It's remarkable. You can take any of the Gospels recounting the stories of Jesus, and you will find that the same stories are in some, as we discussed when we talked about the parables, but you will also find that there are slightly different details in some of these stories, but the same purpose, the same moral, the same results, and talking to the same groups of people. What I find very interesting about this is it's almost as if you were asking witnesses to describe what they saw when they were standing in different locations and viewing events from different times and different perspectives. That's sort of what we get in the Gospels. It's possible the book of John was written by somebody who actually observed Jesus during his crucifixion near the foot of the cross. Whereas some other followers who may have recounted other stories such as the Gospels of Matthew and Luke who are thought to be, and Mark as well, thought to be the teachings of Peter and the people who learned from Peter were ob- observations from a distance. Don't know how far. They watched the, watched the crucifixion but the observations were a little different. So some of the stories and some of the recounts of history that we get for Jesus in the Bible, are those types of observations. They add to the value. They add to the perspective. They add to the comprehensiveness of what Jesus was saying and doing. Multiple witness accounts. Well, the story in Luke is very interesting because it actually is one of the very few histories that we have of Jesus as a youth. You've heard the stories of Jesus's birth and everything that's associated with the Christmas story. That's almost universal in every country of the world for various reasons. But this story recounts Jesus being 12 years old and in the temple. Every year his parents and the people from his town would go to Jerusalem to offer up tithes and to visit the temple. Jesus was 12 years old, and in a caravan of dozens, scores, maybe even hundreds of people traveling together, they traveled together for safety, to Jerusalem, and they did everything they wanted to do in Jerusalem, and they started heading back home. On the way back home, it was noticed that Jesus was not in the caravan, and they started looking for him. His parents Like many parents, just assumed he was with either his relatives or with his friends or he was with somebody else in the caravan or just following along. He was 12. He had some independence, but he wasn't there. So his parents went back to Jerusalem to look for him. It took them three days to find him. Let me read you this story. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast, according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus responded with this. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. He was their son, and he did as his parents told him, and he went back home. It is commonly assumed and accepted that Jesus began teaching at about age 30. However, at age 12, we have this historic memory of his actions and words. This tells us a few things as scientists. Jesus was known to the scholars of the day. The people in the temple, the scholars of the day knew Jesus. He was comfortable in those scholarly groups. Jesus was very intellectually mature even at 12 years old. Well, as we just mentioned, Jesus began his ministry about 30, basically after he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. After that, it is recorded that Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, one of the things to understand is that Jesus knew what his future looked like. He knew the outcome. He knew the results of what he was doing, and he planned for it, and he accepted it. He knew the outcome. And so he went to be tempted by Satan, as had been recorded in the prophecies. And I just want to read to you some of the things that he said. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 4. The devil asked him this question. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. After all, Jesus was in a human form. He got hungry. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. So the devil tried something else. He took him to a very high place and showed him all the kingdoms in the world. And the way this is written, it is past, present, and future. And the devil said, I will give these to you if you but worship me. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So now we probably had a devil or Satan that was getting pretty frustrated. Then he took him to Jerusalem, transported Jesus to Jerusalem, and had him stand on, on the top of the temple. And the Satan asked him, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. To this Jesus responded, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, this really frustrated Satan and he left. From a a thinking perspective, why is this temptation of Jesus important? Well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, he had to live as a human. Personally, I believe he had all of the foibles that we experience in our lives and that he was tempted many times. I think he laughed, I think he cried, I think he got angry. I am sure there are times where he was tempted to use his authority, his divine authority and power and had to bite his, bite his lip as they say, clench his fist and walk away. We understand that. He had to experience life as a human. That is so hard for us to imagine because we can react to it and we have reactions, we do and sometimes we sin, we do things we should not do, but we have those reactions that we can do, Jesus could have spoken and conceivably the planet would disappear. If we we believe that Jesus had that authority, he spoke for God. But if he stood up early in his life and said, I am the Son of God, and he could have snapped his fingers and had, as the Bible says, 12 legions of angels, appear in the sky. he, He could have just taken over. But then his sacrifice would not have happened. Our free will would be diminished. Our acceptance of what he was going to teach and the life he was going to live would not be necessary. But then there would be no salvation for us because we did not have the free will to choose. When you think about it, it was very logical and so the satan was trying to get jesus to spill the beans to come forward and say, oh, no, this is who I really am, and just tell everybody and be done with it. Not go through this whole crucifixion process that we're going to discuss in a later podcast. What well, Jesus was doing is teaching, and he was not afraid of stating facts or truth or making people angry or mad, and he was certainly not afraid of challenging authority or of challenging peerage, people who had a sense of being better than others. Jesus was not afraid of challenging them. Remember, he was born in a stall to a maidservant and had a father who was a carpenter. He was not born in a priestly house or in a temple or anything like that. Well, let me read to you a couple of other stories. He went to his own synagogue in his own town, and as Jewish practice and custom, he was asked to read or volunteered to read during their service, their scriptural study, and he was handed a scroll, a scroll of the prophet Isaiah's writings, and he enrolled it and found one particular place in there where this is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I can see him doing this. He read that scripture, rolled it back up since they were were in scroll form, and sat down. And everybody was looking at him. He must have read that with incredible authority. I would love to hear him read that. And then he said, as everybody was looking at him, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Everybody liked that. Everybody thought he spoke well. They said, isn't this Joseph's son? They were, you know, like, isn't, isn't this a carpenter's kid? Isn't this Joseph's son? And then Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Now, Jesus had been out teaching before this and healing the sick. He had a following. He had uh, people that were starting to go around and talk about him. And he went on to say, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian." So Jesus was saying, here I am in the synagogue and you are asking about me and praising me, but I'm not necessarily sent just to you. Think about Elijah and Elisha. They were actually sent to help people in countries that were not part of the central core of what became Israel at the time in history of their existence. So when the people in the synagogue heard this, they were furious. What do you mean you're not coming to us? You're ours, you, you help us, you don't help anybody else. They were furious. And so they drove him out of town. They were gonna take him to the top of a hill, had a little cliff on the side. They wanted to throw him down. These people were furious. They had been insulted. Jesus, not afraid to tell the truth, not afraid to make people angry, not afraid to tell people what they really needed to hear, wanted to get rid of this guy. But as they tried to get him to the top of the hill, he just walked right through them, is what the Bible records. So they, I don't know if they felt like they didn't have the authority, or I don't know if Jesus used his authority to just walk through them without having them have the guile or the desire to hurt him. But he was basically thrown out of his own town. What is very special for this story is that the Bible, early in Jesus' teaching, specifically stated that Jesus is not just coming to save the Jews. He is not just a Jewish prophet. He is more. He is a prophet. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior for every person. I know some of my scientist friends who, in our discussions, will claim that Jesus was just a Jewish prophet. Jesus himself by this story proves that not to be the case. Jesus was universal. And this story is from the time of Jesus. So any concoction of an excuse that Jesus was not for everyone and was only for the Jews is, is completely contrary to what this story says to us. So Jesus had just basically said that he was not here just for the Jews and for his fellow-countrymen, he was here for everyone, but he was also not here just for the good people, just for the righteous people. That's not who he was sent to, although they certainly needed him. So let me read you this story. This story occurs as in a series of of discussions from Jesus, where he told several parables, and you know that a few podcasts ago ago we discussed the parables this is not a parable this is a a direct teaching so i'm going to read all of these verses to you now one of the pharisees invited jesus to have dinner with him so he went to the pharisee's house and reclined at the table when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that jesus was eating at the pharisee's house she brought an alabaster jar of perfume Well, this guy's talking to himself, apparently loud enough for Jesus to overhear. How many of our times have we done that ourselves, said something that we disagreed with so that others would not know we were disagreeing to their face, but knew we were disagreeing? That's been happening ever since humans had the ability to communicate. But Jesus answered him, Simon, who was apparently the Pharisee's name, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said, You have judged correctly. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This story is often called Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. But it teaches many things. It's not like a parable, teaching with sometimes opposite examples, but teaching with direct examples. The two people who had the debt, both owed a debt. Which one would be loved the most? This direct teaching is by dialogue, not necessarily a parable as we just mentioned. Jesus talked directly to a person. In the presence of everyone who was there, they were all listening to him. Jesus was a celebrity wherever he went. And so they were listening to him, and he gave this example. Those there would fully understand this story. What they did not understand and questioned was that he forgave her sins. Jesus was beginning to assert himself as the Son of God. They still thought he was a prophet. Remember, Simon said, "Well, if he really was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is." Jesus was much more than a prophet. We jump ahead a little further in Luke, and we actually learn a little bit more about Jesus himself. Jesus's mother. And his brothers often traveled to see him. It's not known whether they really traveled with him, but they often traveled to see him. And this verse says Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That seems very harsh, but Jesus was stating a fact. He did have an earthly family, but he was now beginning to assert himself, as I said before, to be the son of God as he led closer and closer to Jerusalem and his eventual sacrifice. After this event, they got into the boat, and were gonna travel across the Sea of Galilee, and several events and several actions happened, but one of the things that drives scientists crazy is this story, and I'll, I'll read this to you. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. Remember, many of his disciples had been fishermen, so they were accomplished nautical people. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, the storm subsided, and all was calm. And then he looked at his disciples and said, where is your faith? And even his disciples, those who were routinely following him, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So his disciples were beginning to see Jesus become more than they thought he was. During this time, Jesus is recorded as healing several sick people, even raising a dead girl. But what's really interesting is that Jesus was also preparing his followers for what they would be doing after he was gone. Remember, Jesus knew the end results of what he was doing. And so he took his original 12 disciples whom are commonly called the apostles and decided to send them out he gave them the authority to cast out demons cure diseases and to preach the kingdom of god and he said this take nothing for the journey no staff no bag no bread no money no extra tunic whatever house you enter stay there until you leave that town if people do not welcome you Shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. That's very interesting. Jesus was beginning to train his students. And so they had an internship. He sent them out. It's not recorded how long this happened, but it's assumed to be several weeks. They had to walk to get where they were going. They had to stay in a town long enough to preach, and they went to different towns, so they had to gather back together, so it would take some time. It's a very interesting study, because later, Jesus does this for even more disciples, 72. He sends them out to do a very similar thing. So right here, we have Jesus with a recorded 84 people, if we just add the numbers up. With this number of followers and this many students and disciples, Jesus was really being noticed by the political leadership, even beyond the religious leadership that were following him closely. So after the 12 had come back from this activity, Jesus was teaching and preaching, and there were so many people around him That it was time for a meal. These people had been following him without food. And this is where we get the feeding of the 5,000 story recorded. This is an amazing thing. This is a miracle. And what is a miracle? You know, God established the universe to work according to laws and fixed conditions and things like that. And anytime something happens that goes contrary to the natural laws of the universe. It needs a correction. One way I think of a miracle is as a correction back to what God originally intended. There, there are forces that act against our best interest. We call it evil. Beings who have free will, who have chosen not to follow the desires of their Creator, of God. They can change our interaction with the processes that govern the universe. The universe was made perfectly, but when something happens that changes the flow of what God intended, then it can be corrected by what we we call a miracle. I know that sounds crazy, but think about that. I want to end podcast 11 with what is commonly called Peter's Confession. If you remember, we discussed that Jesus was progressively revealing himself more than just being a teacher, a prophet, a special religious person. He was beginning more and more to re- reveal that he was the son of God. Dri- dro- it would drive the religious people crazy, but he was beginning to reveal that. At the time, Judaism was not a hom- homogenous religion. There were different sects, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, many others, there were the Roman religions, the religion of Mithra, for example. There were Syrian religions. There were Aramaic religions. There were many religions that would be in the area. So there were many ideas and ideals. One of those things that varied among religions was the concept of reincarnation. So people were beginning to say, as Jesus was showing his prophetic powers, his healing powers, uh, that he must be John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been killed not not too long before all this, that he must be a reincarnation of John the Baptist. Some said he was a reincarnation of the prophet Elijah, some said he was a reincarnation of of possibly the prophet Jeremiah, two very famous prophets in in Judaism. So Jesus would know this, and he turned around and asked his disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Jesus asked them, But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Then Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life then he said to them all if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will save it what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self if anyone is ashamed of me in my words The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. These were harsh words, harsh words. Following this is a story of what's called the transfiguration, and we'll begin our next podcast with that, podcast 12. But what Jesus is saying is this, he was speaking truth. Everything they had been taught, everything they had learned was not really truth. Truth was much simpler, much harder, but much simpler. And that's what Jesus was teaching. We could spend hours discussing those last few verses I read. This gives us much to think about as scientists And we will discuss that in the next podcast. Thank you.